This week's episode of Inquisitive is brought to you by Hover, Cards Against Humanity, and App Camp for Girls. My name is Dan Morin, and my favorite album is the score from Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back by John Williams. no one i've been told it's important to stay on brand <laughs> you are you know you're just you're a star wars guy you're damn wrong apparently that's that's my thing with a capital t and a little trademark symbol after it so i was hoping you would pick a soundtrack because i know you're a soundtrack <laughs> person like soundtracks are a thing that i know that are important to you they are that's true a very early uh, episode of the incomparable i think we spent talking about soundtracks so that is a, that's a thing I spent a lot of time listening to because I was not into pop music as a kid, really. So you list, as a kid, you listened to soundtracks as well, then? Well, as a kid, so I grew up in a household. My father is really into classical music, um, and to a lesser extent, jazz. But uh, classical music was huge in our house. Like My dad was always listening to either the radio or LPs or CDs later on of classical music. He loves Mozart and Beethoven. So I grew up exposed to a lot of that, uh, even though... I'm not a particularly musically savvy person. Um, that was just sort of, that was like background music in my in my youth. What initially comes to mind, though, for why you picked this one? Well, I mean, so, so again, surprising no one, this is my favorite movie of all time. And I think that I really like music that seems to tell a story. Um, and even in cases where the music itself does not explicitly tell a story... I have the experience that when I watch, when I listen to music, I see a story unfolding in my head. My brain naturally tries to create a story in which the music I am listening to, whether it be soundtracks or pop music or you know pretty much any type of of music, is the the soundtrack for the movie that's playing in my head. Uh, and, and with some music, that's easier than others. It sort of slots more naturally into that. But I love this score because I feel that from beginning to end, and partially this is the way that it's it's sort of um, it, the the album itself is put together. Um, it it flows very naturally as though it tells a story, uh, even more so I think than some you know a lot of people. The the score for the original Star Wars movie I think is is a big hit with a lot of people. But I think what stops me there is that a lot of that music is constructed in a very um, like there are concert suites sort of interspersed in there, and so it sort of breaks up the story. I think it's it's hashed up a little bit more in service of the, how the movie was constructed, whereas this one flows much more as a continuous whole for me. I mean, you th- you believe that your choice is swayed. Because of your love for the movie, though, right? Yeah, I think so. But, I, you know, and, and so when I listen to this, you know, naturally it evokes many of the same feelings that I get when listening to, or when watching the movie. But I just, it, there's a beauty to the score and it's so complex and nuanced uh, in a way that I think a lot of music isn't. Um, you know, and I, and I don't, you know, and denigrate, you know, popular music or, or sort of, you know, songs, that sort of the whole song album construction as a whole. It's just not something that I was super exposed to growing up and it really was not until much later you know when I was a teenager in college even that I actually started listening to more uh, popular music I'm kind of just using popular music here as a catch-all for everything that that is not sort of orchestral music because to me that's kind of how in my brain it always divides under what circumstances do you find yourself wanting to listen to this album 
I think in part it's kind of the the musical equivalent of comfort music. Um, it's something that I can put on in the background, and I know it so well, and it's so deeply ingrained that it it also evokes like a certain mood. It very it find it relaxing, um, and it it's not something that I feel requires a degree of active listening for me because I can sort of dip in and dip out. Um, and so if I'm working. Um, and a lot of times my work involves writing words. And so I tend to avoid music that has a lot of words unless I know it really, really well, because otherwise I find that distracting. I end up typing what I'm listening to, and, and that doesn't work at all. So a lot of times writing for me, specifically creative writing, I love listening to soundtracks in general. And this this score being one of my favorites, um, you know, my favorite album, it, it's one that I go back to a lot because I, I know it so well and it, it does such a good job of evoking the, 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 the desire to be creative to me. I think that's a big part of what this is, is it, it sort of points me towards, oh, this is, there, here's this thing you love that is so creative and so imaginative and has captured your, your imagination and your mind for so many years. This is kind of what I'm trying to emulate, I'm trying to often tell a story that resonates in the same way that this resonates with me. Do you ever listen to your whole music library on shuffle? Uh, <laughs> I feel like that's a leading question. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I often do. That okay. is that is something that I often... I, I don't listen to a lot of albums start to finish. It tends to be soundtracks because, again, I feel like there is a cohesion among them. Um, a lot of other albums... There are a few other albums that I listen to like start to finish, but um, a lot of times I do just sort of shuffle through and like skip a bunch of songs. Eh, I don't want to listen to that one now. I don't want to listen to that one now because I, I hate making playlists. Do any of the tracks on this album... Uh kind of really distract you like if you hear them is that like work done for a few minutes <laughs> um not necessarily but there are definitely some where i'll perk up especially if it hits you just the right time where you're like oh, i'm stuck on writing this thing i need some inspiration and like the songs come up and if this song um i'm trying to think about the particular tracks on here that come to mind in terms of things that grab me um i really love the um the, the penultimate track on this, The Rescue from Cloud City Hyperspace, has such a great, um, especially the back half of it, has such a strong, uh, fast tempo to it that that always, like, sort of, I feel like that gets my blood pumping a little bit. The adrenaline starts running there. Um, and I find that sort of like a supercharged song where it's like, okay, all right, this song is on. I'm going to, like, I'm going to, like, get in the zone. Okay, Dan, I just want to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk about one song specifically for a moment. But first, let me thank our friends over at Hover for sponsoring this week's episode. They are the best way to buy and manage domain names. When it comes to getting a domain name of your own, it is the first place you should be thinking of because it's the first place that I think of too. Naming projects and coming up with ideas for website names and stuff like that can be really difficult and sometimes by the time you've actually come to the idea name itself all you want to do is just grab the domain that you're looking for so you can start setting up your own website and that's what hover does so well at. They provide a fast, simple, hassle-free method of buying your own domain names. They don't throw up a thousand screens with a ton of add-ons at super high prices. They just let you get in, select what you need, buy it, and get out to go build your new project. Hover have all of the TLDs that you'd expect, like .com, .co, .me. They also have all of the new weird, wonderful, and crazy ones, and also some other really interesting and exciting ones that people want to use, like .fm and .tv, for example. You can buy those over at 
hover. They include who is privacy for free with any domain that supports it, and they do this automatically. They just check the box for you because Hover believe that your private information should be kept private. They have great support. They have great email support. They have great guides and documentation, and they also have a fantastic telephone support team who are there always for you with no hold, no wait, no transfer. You pick up the phone, call Hover, and someone is going to pick up the phone and speak to you and help you. They do volume discounts for bulk domain renewal. They do custom email addresses for storage and forwarding and loads of other great stuff like their valet service where they'll just take all of the hassle out of transferring from a previous provider by doing it all for you. So go to Hover.com right now and use the code billboard at checkout and you'll save 10% on your first purchase at Hover.com and show your support for this show. Thank you so much to Hover for their support this week. So there are a bunch of great songs on this album. Like for example, the Imperial March sure. probably is there like 700 times in this album. Like it just keeps <laughs> popping up. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and that has to do with the way that that this this is constructed as a whole. So, Williams is probably one of the biggest um, sort of proponents, uh, at least in in the Star Wars scores and in in many of his other scores, of this idea of the uh, the light motif, which is sort of harkens back to I think it's sort of popularized along to, with uh, Wagner in his operas, and the idea being that there are themes woven into the larger music that hearken or you know have signal specific characters or specific places or specific events so as you mentioned the imperial march is obviously like a huge one um and what's funny about that is that a lot of you know that's such an iconic star wars theme and yet it debuts in this movie it does not exist in the first star wars movie um and and i think a lot of people sometimes backfill in their imagination because it has become so iconic um, but it's it's woven in, it's used in different tempos, it's used with different instruments, um, but it always has that signal in the plot, right, of, of something something is being done here that harkens to the, the Empire's involvement, even if it's not something that in the movie is deliberately on screen. It's almost like an air of, of sinister uh, machinations going on in the background. And, and I love, that's one of the things I love about this, is that he plays so much with all these different themes, and they're sprinkled throughout the album. And sometimes, I, I realized as I was listening to it in preparation for recording this, sometimes in places that I, don't even, I didn't even realize that it was there, uh, I, you know, listening at that, at, uh, you know, with greater attention on it because I've internalized this so much, I was trying to actually pay attention and listen to it and call out the themes. I catch every once in a while, I was like, oh, all right. Okay. That's clearly Luke's theme used in this place, but it's done. It's slowed down or it's used in a different, slightly different arrangement. Um, but it's clearly still intended to be there. And so that's incredibly versatile to me. It's, it's so fascinating that you can take this theme and apply it in all these different places and it doesn't always come out sounding like oh we're just listening to the same thing over and over and over again uh stuff gets sort of sublimated or or stuck into places that you don't you don't necessarily consciously realize it's there but it still triggers the same ideas in your head of there is this okay wait if i'm hearing those notes like you respond in a certain way because it it conveys a certain meaning to you because you have uh, an understanding of what that theme means. So I, I really, as a storyteller and as someone who is fascinated by narrative, that is something that interests me because even without words, you know, a whole story gets told uh, throughout this entire album. And that that is super cool. One of my favorite uses of the, the leitmotif, as you uh, explained it, um, is in Home Alone, 
Uh-huh. I love, yep. I just love the... It just like is always there. You yep. know, it's, it, yep. it just finds its way into different songs and, and like, you know, the the main theme. It, I, I really like the way, I really love that score because of the, the link between it always very nice. Also John Williams, yeah. Yep. Great. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> that guy with his all his crazy Academy Award nominations. He knows his stuff. What kind of mood does this album set you in? Or this, I call it an album, but it seems even strange to call it an album. You feel like you call it yeah. a soundtrack, but for for the sake of this this uh, sure. this conversation, we'll call it an album, I guess. But what kind of mood does it put you in? Um, you know, I I sometimes I think of it. Uh, you know, it, it does it make me cold? Sometimes I wonder, like because I'm thinking of all those scenes early on that take place on Hoth, which is of course you know an ice planet, and something about it is wintry to me, even though I know that's an that's a uh, that's a, an image conjured up by my association with the movie. Um, I think it, it puts me, you know, as I said earlier, I think, you know, it definitely is something that spurs creativity in me because it, it sort of invites me to think about a story and constructing a story. Um, it's usually something I find that puts me in a, uh, we'll say in a positive mood overall. Um, and, and part of that is because it, it is reminiscent of something that has brought me so much joy and that I've, you know, that I, that I love so much. Um, so I find that even, you know, when it comes up, even if, whether it be on shuffle or whether I decide to, you know, sit down and play this album from start to finish, um, it's, it does a nice job of reminding me why I want to do the things that I do. So I think it, it's, it's a very positive motivator in, in terms of getting me to think about, all right, you know, this is kind of, this is represents a goal that I have spent a long time striving for, you know, to be creative, to tell stories. And, and for me, uh, this really, you know, does a good job of energizing, uh, energizing me to strive for that creative ideal. Um, so I, I would, you know, in general say that, uh, I think there's a flip side to that as well, which is to say, uh, you know, on, on, on grumpy days when it's like, ah, oh, yeah, I can't do anything right. I'm frustrated. I'm stuck in this particular writing section. You know, you'll be listening to this and being like, ah, oh, God, why does this make it seem so easy? Ah, it's so hard to come up with something that, that is so simple and elegant and seems to resonate so well with so many people. Uh, but I would say that's probably the less common occurrence. When you, uh, when you listen to this, uh, do you think that like it could put you in a good mood? Like, do you just feel like your love of the album can kind of like soak out, and then you end up just feeling better, or do you like find yourself hating Darth Vader? Like, wh- does it take you in those sort of directions? Yeah, I I definitely think that it does put me in a better mood. Uh, because again, it's like seeing old friends, right? Like, you know, this is something that is so ingrained in me, and I've I've listened to so many times that it's like, you know, it's like putting on your, your super comfortable pair of shoes and feeling like, oh, great, now I've got my super comfy shoes on, I can walk anywhere, I can walk across the country, you know. Um, and I think, you know, since you can sort of wrap yourself in that, it, it can't help but, you know, put yourself in a good mood, especially for me, you know, I've been listening to this this album for so many years that there are so many memories tied up with various parts of it. Um, because, you know, this was, I mean, I think I, I first, my first CD that I actually went out and bought 
was actually a box set of the of the scores for all three of the Star Wars movies. Hmm. Um, I remember driving to an old uh, Circuit City. They're now out of business, but they were selling CDs. And I think I bought a box set there of have four, four CDs that were slightly different uh, arrangement than what's on this this nice double album here. Um, but those were like the song, the the only CDs I owned for a long time. So I would listen to them in my car. Um, and I would listen to them at home in my bedroom, you know, like on the CD player I had there pretty much anywhere. Um, and, and for a long time that, you know, there were not back in the pre digital music era, you know, you had a lot less music. I feel like, or at least I did, you know, if I, if that was the only CDs I owned, I wasn't exactly, you know, in heavy rotation with a bunch of other stuff. So, um, to me that it's not just a soundtrack for the movie. It's kind of a soundtrack for my life. Uh, because it's been at so many different points in in my life, you know, I have so many touchstones that that call back to this and listening to this particular score. Uh, so I feel like, yeah, it, it does a good job of evoking, uh, you know, a positive mood and making me think about, you know, all the times that I've I've listened to this this album or watched the movie, um, and it, it does tend to sort of soak away some of the some of the grumpier moods. What was the first time you heard this score when you first saw the movie? I I assume so. I, I you know, I was young enough that I wouldn't necessarily say that I knew of it as a discrete entity. Um I think I actually had a tape at some point that had like selections from all three movies. Um I don't recall who got it for me or when I got it. Um but I know that I, you know, and so a cassette obviously was a lot shorter and it was all very much like things that were, uh, they were almost uh, orchestrated as like discrete pieces. So you jumped around a bunch through all the different movies. Um, but I remember listening to that so much. I, I think I probably wore out the tape. Um, and then, you know, as I said, this was also the first CDs that I bought when I was probably 16 or 17. Um, so I had listened to, uh, you know, a bunch of the, a bunch of Star Wars music. I'd seen the movies over and over again, but I do remember that when I got, you know, both every successive version, and I've owned several versions of the different scores to this movie as well as the other two. But what's great is that every successive version seemed to add more of the music. And because you've seen the movie and the music obviously is, is sort of chopped up slightly differently in the movie, but there were always, they were always adding additional tracks that you could kind of remember from the background of the movie, but had never been released on an album before. And so I just remember I had a good friend who was a Star Wars nerd, and, and I and we would uh, we would like listen to the soundtracks, and we'd be like, "Oh, oh, that's new. That one hasn't been that one hasn't been on the album yet." And so, the, to me, even now, you know, there are parts of it that I think of as the, "Oh yeah, that was a part that you know I didn't hear until I was twenty or something because it was not released on an album earlier than that." Uh, so, you know, I guess probably my earliest memory of listening to this exact album probably comes from around 1997 or thereabouts, because I think this was first released, uh, along with the special editions. Um, and so, you know, to me, just hearing new quote unquote new Star Wars music at that time was kind of a blast because, you know, there hadn't been the movie was, you know, 17 years old at that point. So uh, that was that was always a little bit of a trip today. Uh, how many formats do you own this album in? <laughs> um, let's see. Well, I've got I think the version that is on my computer is the version that I ripped from my double CD set. Any special editions? <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, no, it's it's completely on. No, um, yeah. So I think this is the this is the double disc version that I ripped from my CD, which is I believe the 1997 edition. I was trying to find my case for it, um, but I think it's in the attic at my parents' house, unfortunately. Um, but what's the, the the case for it is beautiful because it's almost like a little book, like almost like a little hardcover book that's the size of a CD case. And then the they were these were the two discs which have like kind of hologram covers are in like uh, slip covers almost inside the uh, the jet the. Um, the hardcovers, and then there's a book inside. And I was like, oh, man, I really want to go find that that the liner and reread all the notes and stuff in there. But unfortunately, I think it's buried in my parents' attic right now. Um, so I, I do own the CDs. I think I probably have those in, like, one of my, uh, like, CD um, folio things. Uh, and then I have a digital version. I think that's it. There was no, uh, yeah, not, not on LP or Laserdisc or anything like that. <laughs> I was expecting you to say you had a Laserdisc version of it. Sadly, I don't know. Do they make Laserdisc like music albums? Who I knows? feel like that wasn't a thing, but yeah. Laserdisc was barely a thing. So. Laserdisc was barely a thing, and yet I own a Laserdisc player, but hey. I just want to take a moment before we carry on today to talk about something that's pretty important to me, and that is App Camp for Girls. App Camp for Girls is on a mission. They encourage girls to pursue app development as a career by teaching them how to make iPhone apps in a fun, creative summer camp program under the mentorship of women developers. App Camp is shifting the gender balance in our industry, and now they want to do even more with App Camp 3.0 by bringing the program to more girls in more locations. At App Camp for Girls, Girls learn how to brainstorm, design, code, and pitch their apps all in one week. It's a huge confidence builder, and it shows them how fun and creative the app business can be. They get to work with women in the industry, developers, designers, testers, support specialists, and more throughout their time at the camp. And on the last day, a panel of women entrepreneurs and investors listen to the girls' pitches and give encouragement and ideas for future development. App Camp for Girls is growing like crazy. Starting from just one camp in 2013, they now have locations in Portland, Seattle, and Vancouver, Canada. And there are at least four new locations being considered for 2016. Every camp has had a waiting list so far, and they are working hard to get to the point where they can build more capacity to reach all the girls and locations who want to be in this program. But this is where they need your help. To achieve these ambitious plans of scaling App Camp to more places and to be able to fulfill the demand. They need the support of everyone who wants to see more girls and women in tech. Your donations buy equipment, recruit and train volunteers and build the curriculum. Without the support of the community, App Camp for Girls would not be possible. I cannot state how important I think this is. App Camp for Girls is an incredible organization that does fantastic things and I have really seen this industry get around this and see people promote it, but now they really need your help. They need to. They need money, basically. App Camp for Girls is currently running an Indiegogo campaign to help get them fund the funding that they desperately need. It's currently in the final few days and needs your help now more than ever. This really is a great cause, so please go to this URL: ac the number four g dot net slash relay the number four app camp. That's ac four g dot net slash relay for app camp. There'll also be a link in the show notes as well. If you want to click that, you can. Give what you can. This will really, really help the App Camp organization do even more than before. Thank you. Let's talk about um, some of your favorite pieces of music in this uh, in this soundtrack. Um, what are they? like? What, what parts of this do you love the most? Are there specific tracks that you love the most? Are there parts of specific tracks that you love the most? Where does that sit with you? 
Yeah, there are definitely some tracks. It's always tricky with these because they flow so well into one another and there are distinct pieces within them. Uh, but I will say that there are specific parts I love a lot and that I was thinking about in, in as we, you know, as I listened to this in preparation for talking about it. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, in contrast to so many modern scores, uh, Williams does a really good job of kind of almost mimicking, mimicking the action that's going on. So it's almost operatic in that sense. Like you can almost get the entire sense of the movie from listening to the music. Obviously, it really helps if you've seen the movie. But, you know, even if you've only seen it once or twice, I feel like it does a great job of evoking that. In particular, the one of the tracks I wanted to call out was the Battle of Hoth, which is, I think, the fifth track here. <laughs> And that covers, it's long, it's like 15 minutes long. Um, but it covers sort of the whole battle scene from start to finish on Hoth. But what I love about it is how much time he spends establishing um, a audio analog for what's happening on screen. And in particular, I think about the introduction of the Imperial Walkers, you know, sort of slowly trudging their way towards the Rebel base. And he uses these really heavy percussive uh, you know, impacts that essentially mimic like the footfalls of it. Uh, and then he weaves in, you know, as the rebels are, are attacking, you know, with their, with their little snow speeders and flying around and trying to, you know, stop them. He weaves in these really fast paced, uh, up tempo, uh, you know, more melodies that, that sort of seem to envelop and wrap around the walkers. And it's such a good analog to what's happening on screen, uh, in a way that I don't feel like, we get with a lot of other modern albums. So that's that that whole suite, that 15 minutes that goes from sort of like, okay, you know, the the Empire is coming down upon us all the way to we have to evacuate and, uh, you know, leave behind the space that we've established. Uh, and inside you've got these little vignettes with them, you know, the, the Snow Spears fighting the walkers, um, the uh, Hansel and Princess Leia trying to escape the base that's sort of got this whole muted like battle going on in the background. You've got Luke Skywalker on foot trying to run around. And so you've got these like these melodies it sort of weaves back and forth amongst all these different story threads. Um, and, and I think that the idea of like having uh, a musical arrangement that mimics so much of what's going on on screen, whether it be like the those heavy, you know, stomping of the walkers done in, in, in drums and piano um, or the sort of uh, more heroic music that we get when Luke sort of, you know, repels his way up a, a walker and, and throws a bomb in it and explodes. And, and you've got that all mimicked in the sort of crescendo of the heroic music there. Um, and so that's that's one sort of area that stands out in particular to me. Um, I also really love the... Uh, I, one of my favorite tracks on this entire album is on disc two. There is a track called Attacking a Star Destroyer, which is essentially after the asteroid field... The, you know, they are trying to go to light speed again in the Millennium Falcon and it doesn't work. And so they decide to turn around and take it, uh, take the Star Destroyer head on. Uh, it's got this great music. It's, it's, it's what stands out to me about that one is that I feel like that is a 
yeah, there's almost a theme or a musical arrangement in there that doesn't exist anywhere else in this album. It's this very tense, um, very tense track that, you know, it goes from being like, okay, we're going to get out of here to like, oh, we are totally screwed. And then it, it you know, has this, again, sort of this big crescendo um, with these horns and stuff as they decide, like, we're going to turn around and we're going to, like, go full throttle at it. And then it just cuts out immediately because if you remember the movie, the, the ship disappears. And so it's, again, this nice job of mimicking what's going on on screen um, with what's happening in the music in a way that you can, you know, you could watch the movie with the music with no dialogue, no sound effects, anything, and still kind of get exactly the gist of what's going on. Um, and, and, you know, if there's any number of other great ones, I love the Lando's Palace track has the sort of Cloud City introduction, um, and it's got this very elegant um, sort of high piping sound to it, and it's very calm and very peaceful after all the sort of action we've been through, but there's also an or like a slight bit of menace underneath it at times. Uh, you can hear these sort of more bass notes that uh, indicate that, like, yeah, not everything here is quite what it seems. Um, and so, and that's a thing that you can do in music that that is so powerful with a soundtrack is you can hint at things that aren't necessarily obvious in the in what's being seen on screen, but you can bring in these motifs that signal something here is not right. Um, and this is not from this album, but in particular, I think, um, had there ever been three prequel movies to this and had a score been written for them, um, there's a, there's a nice bit in the Anakin's theme from the Phantom Menace score where at the end of that that suite it devolves into the imperial march like just the same notes but like done in a really soft quiet um you know understated manner but it's there because it's got this whole signal to it and so in the same way on this album there's a lot of times you know since the empire is such a pervasive theme and a threat throughout this entire story you know basically we have our characters on the run for a lot of it there's always this undercurrent that Williams uses by adding in these like the imperial theme coming in as you notice or just these like darker deeper moments of okay something you're you're safe for now but not everything is all right this soundtrack is obviously one of six Star Wars soundtracks. Uh, Williams did them all, right? Indeed he did, yep. Why is this one uh, your favorite? I think in you know in a large part, I think because it flows so well. There are very few. I think there is only you know, one, maybe two sort of concert arrangements which start the beginning. So this is a two-disc set. So they start the beginning of disc two, the Imperial March. Um, you get a little bit of that in the movie but the arrangement on here is primarily sort of a standalone like march piece uh and then yoda's theme i think also has a similar sort of that's an arrangement of of his theme as sort of a concert suite meant to be played as like a standalone piece but other than that um i think that this it flows so well from start to finish telling a story and going through basically everything from you know this this initial 
battle and and the what's going to set people on the run and then it just it's a straight line and it's so hard for me to pick out individual tracks in some ways because so much of what happens here is a cohesive start to finish um piece that in the same way as a, a symphony or something where they you know everything's sort of designed to be listened to not in pieces chopped up but as a a cohesive whole um, and I think this does a better job than pretty much any of the other uh, Star Wars scores. I love them all. They're great. Um, some of them are better than others. I think this one stands out in particular to me because I feel like it is so complex and nuanced in terms of how he weaves in both old themes, you know, from the first movie, as well as introducing new iconic themes, because both, you know, as we mentioned, the Imperial March and Yoda's theme also are introduced here and sort of recur throughout the rest of the series whenever those characters appear. Um, And so he just sort of launches into it. And it's so, um, I think the fact that it it sort of bridges that there's a familiarity to it. We all know that when that main like title comes up, that we know exactly what we're getting into, but then, you know, it diverges so quickly. You know, we, for years, obviously the, the first movie being all there was people had internalized sort of what that version of the main title sounds like. And, and really the first few minutes of it are the same. And then it very quickly turns into something. This is totally different and we are in a different place. There's a different, um, connotation given by the notes here, uh, by the, the arrangement of it. So I think for me, the fact that it is so cohesive a whole and tells such a story like straight through from the beginning to the end is what makes it in particular stand out for me uh, in a way that the other the other scores sometimes feel a little choppier. So you mentioned that as a kid, you didn't really listen to a lot of pop music and maybe that's why soundtracks are so important in your life. What are your tastes today? I vary a lot more today. Um, I've been exposed to a lot more music and, and especially with, you know, the advent of digital music, it's so easy to go out and get things that it's, um, I think particularly what, what held me off a lot as a teenager was that even if I, you know, in those few years where I actually listened to the radio, um, I would hear a single and be like, oh, you know, that's kind of catchy, but it's like, I'm not going to go out and buy an entire album based on a single that was just not something I was willing to spend my money on at that time and so I had a lot of friends who collect a lot of music and occasionally you know I borrow CDs from them or whatever uh, if they're like oh I think you'd particularly like this and and it took a long time before I got into the like got to the point of actually buying CDs for myself and then when digital music started and I was like oh I can go on iTunes and just buy the song I want that was a huge deal for me because it meant I didn't necessarily feel like I'm not investing you know ten dollars fifteen dollars in a in an album of a, of a band I'm not really sure about. I'm going to pay a dollar for a song that I know I like. And then, you know, if it turns out, oh, wow, I've bought like three different songs by this particular artist, then sometimes I would like take, take the leap and invest more in albums. Um, but I think my, my musical tastes still print, tend to be pretty eclectic because I have a large collection of soundtracks, because I have so many things in my iTunes library in particular that are just one are just singles or just a single song from a single artist because I really like that song. Something about it spoke to me. Um, you know, the I mentioned before that I tend to see like sort of movies and, and visuals in my head when I'm listening to a lot of music. And so a lot of times if I hear a song and it triggers some sort of reaction in my head where I'm like, oh yeah, this 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 to me says it's a scene where there's these two people and they're arguing about this thing and, you know, then it turns into, you know, a, a fight or something like that. You know, if it evokes a particular image or sequence in my head, oftentimes I want to 
you know, listen to it several times so that I can sort of refine that. And so I'll, I'll buy a lot of single albums. So I, I kind of run the gamut. I mean, I still listen to um, a lot of, a decent amount of jazz. Um, the other, the one pop band that I listened to growing up for the most part, well, two, I guess. I listened to the Beatles a lot because that was like the one sort of pop music that my parents actually listened to. Um, and then I listened to uh, the Beach Boys a little bit, which I don't really listen to as much, even though I have a few of their songs. But the Beatles, I still I have their entire catalog. I listen to that a lot. Um, I also just sort of, yeah, I'm just sort of like scrolling through my library as I'm looking here. It's like, it's so weird. I have such a weird collection of music uh, because I'll download like a single track about, uh, you know, I've got like a single track from, um, I don't know, the Magnificent Seven score. Uh, and then I've got like, uh, I don't know, what else have I got sitting here? Like, uh, I got some Owl City. I got some Smashing Pumpkins. Um, so I tend to listen to a lot of different things. I have a few bands that I try to follow and buy the albums when they come out. Uh, but I always get frustrated when I listen to, you know, uh, the music, the music listeners lament, I think, is listening to an album by a band, you re- a new album by a band you really like and thinking like, yeah, oh, I like the old stuff better. <laughs> so I think I, I feel like I tend to fall into that trap, too, where I buy music and then eventually I sort of decide, well, I think they, this band has diverged sort of from what I, I really liked about it. And so maybe I will not buy their next album, but... So I, I listen to everything, a lot of alt rock, a lot of um, pop, uh, some uh, jazz, some a lot of oldies. I really gotten back into sort of like classic rock, which was not something that I uh, was exposed to as a as a young uh, young kid. So I actually really developed a, a like at least for like half a dozen or so ACDC songs because I again probably because I was exposed to them in the context of watching a TV show or a movie or something. So it's kind of all over the place. I'm going to be I'm going to be frank about that. Would you say that these days you remain like a a music person first rather than a lyrics person? Yeah, lyrics. Uh, yeah, ly- I like clever lyrics, but I think a lot of times the trick with clever lyrics is that they devolve into "Hey, look at me" territory, uh, and that can distract from the overall song. That said, there are a couple bands that I really love where I, I both enjoy the music and the lyrics. Uh, I'm thinking in particular uh, Guster, which was a, a near pick for this show, um, uh, was one of their albums. I think they tend to write very good lyrics that that actually make me sort of perk my head up. Uh, I also really like there's a sort of, I don't know if you call them alt rock or pop rock or whatever, a Motion City soundtrack. Not a soundtrack, despite having soundtrack in the name, um, but they write very, very clever lyrics. And I think that sort of drew me into that, even if their music is not um, necessarily the most innovative. It's always, I find it very solid and I enjoy their their writing. But It's obvious why you were drawn to them though, Dan. You were suckered in. <laughs> yeah, the name said soundtrack. Why would you lie to me? <laughs> what is this? Um, so I, I think I listened to... Uh, a lot of st- I listen to a lot of stuff with lyrics, but it, to me, the music is the part that's the most important part. And I, I really love instrumental music. Uh, I've always had a soft spot spot in my heart for that, in part because, as I said, I grew up so much with classical and jazz music that didn't really have any lyrics, um, and so that exposed me to to you know listening to the actual you know like the notes, the music, what's going on. And I'm again, I'm not I'm not a huge music person. I did study I studied piano for several years. I am extremely rusty and don't really play anymore. I know very little about musical theory, though I've taken a couple like uh, classes on music here and there. 
Uh, and so it's really, you know, obviously when it comes to like a technical definition of what I like about things, it's really hard to sort of put my finger on it. Sometimes I wish I knew a lot more so I could be like, oh, yes, the fact that they switched from this time signature to this time signature here is one of the things that I really love about this song. But I am not good enough. I'm sometimes not even good enough to pick out like what instrument I'm listening to. It's like, oh, yeah, that that high pitch keening sound in the background, whatever that is, that's really good. So, yeah, it's hard to sort of identify and pick out individual parts for me sometimes. Are you proud of this album choice? Like, are you happy for the world to know that your favorite album out of all of the albums is this one? You know, it's that constant battle of feeling like everybody's just going to be like, nerd. Um, But at the same time, being, you know, in my mid-30s and realizing, yeah, I don't really care what anybody thinks. Um, You know, I'm sure there are a lot of people who know me who will be like, oh, yes, of course he picked this. Um, and, and I'm cool with that. I don't have a problem with it. it. It is a, as I said, you know, it's an album that has meant a lot to me. Uh, it's something that I've listened to a ton. And as a result, uh, you know, it's a part of me. And so not acknowledging that would be uh, disingenuous. Uh, and so I think that um, I'm, I'm certainly proud of it. I would love more people to listen to it and really enjoy it. Uh, because I think that that, you know, soundtracks get overlooked a lot. And in part... Uh, that's because I think that in modern movie making, they're not deployed as well. Generally, there are exceptions. Like there, are, I think in the you know we have so many mass-produced, turned-out blockbusters in which it's like, all right, they just need music that goes in the background. You need to write a catchy theme, and that's about it. And so I still buy soundtracks. You know, I'm thinking in particular, I bought the soundtrack to the new Avengers movie, and it has a couple great themes in it. Um, and, and we're talking, you know, again, like at least part of that score was written by Danny Elfman, who himself is a legend and a, you know, a master of scoring. And yet that album feels really, really disjointed to me, perhaps because it does have, uh, two composers, but perhaps because it's also just, it's not viewed as important. It's we, okay, we just need to be in the background. Don't overwhelm the action. You know, you just need to have, it's more about rhythm than about melody. You need to have sort of just like a rhythm that evokes what's going on without really spending the time. I feel like constructing interesting, complex themes or, uh, you know, really pervading the entire movie. And, and another thing that, you know, I love about this album is that it's super long, actually. Um, I'm sure you experienced it as you listen to it. This, this is like two hours of music. Um, and this is for a movie that's, you know, two hours and 14 minutes or something like that. Um, and so there's music almost in this entire movie. If I'd had more time, I would have watched the entire movie and just sort of tried to pick out the minutes where there are no music. Because I think that it's very few in the in the overall running time of the movie, and to me that's astounding. Because it does again point that back to this sort of operatic approach here, um, and I think that's that's one of the things that I love about it is that it's so deeply ingrained in the fabric of the story being told that you could not tell this story without the music because the music is an intrinsic part of it. And as such, like that's what I love about it. That's what I love that conveying the story uh, and that, you know, having other people experience that and and feel the same emotions that they felt when they either saw this movie or heard this music for the first time, I think is a, is a really powerful thing. So yeah, and I am very proud of this and I don't feel any shame whatsoever in having it be my favorite album. This episode is also brought to you by Cards Against Humanity, who love nothing more than playing a few seconds of a 90s pop song and then stopping it abruptly, like this. Somebody, it's been one week since you looked at me. Thank you so much to Cards Against Humanity for supporting this show. Do you ever try or have you ever tried like, to get other people to, to listen and appreciate this album in the way that you do? 
Um, let's see. I've never sat down and subjected anybody to it. Uh, cause again, I think I, that was always a weird experience for me. Like I, whenever uh, a friend of mine would be like, Oh yeah, you got to hear this song. I have a terrible time concentrating on things when people are like, listen to this song right now. Um, cause I always want to talk about it or something. Oh, that's interesting. And they're like, yeah, listen to the song. Uh, and so I, I think I'm a really, I've not really tried to like have anybody sit down and actively, listen to this like start to finish that's a great idea though i think i'm gonna make somebody do that um and i i i've definitely like you know suggested to people i think a lot of people brush it off because either most people don't listen to soundtracks or they are like oh it's a star wars soundtrack i don't need to sit down and listen to it i've, I've seen the movies um but I, I actually do really wish people would sit down and listen to it because i think that it is uh, it is such a beautiful piece of work um, that it's it's something that deserves to be enjoyed in and of itself. And again, if I'd had a little more time um, to do this, I really just wanted to sort of sit down on my couch and close my eyes and listen to the whole thing from start to finish without any distractions, because I find that so much of what I do is listen to this in the background. Um, I wanted to, to be able to take a chance and sort of like actively listen and pick out interesting things that I found. But, uh, you know, that's it's a big time commitment to do that. So I think unlike, you know, having somebody... You know, sitting down somebody down and saying, listen to this, you know, three and a half minute song, uh, saying, sit down and listen to this two hour album is is a bit trickier. So that I, I guess I haven't really tried to directly make anybody listen to it. But I like the idea. Have you ever seen any of this played live? Is 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 that something that has ever happened? Yes, I, I have. I've seen John Williams in concert a number of times uh, conducting and always fabulous always great to hear it live because it is it does add such a different dimension than hearing the recording i mean recordings are, are fantastic these days you know sometimes it's hard to tell um and i think what's interesting is that you know especially when you hear when you hear a band play a song live sometimes it's sometimes it's like very different from what you've heard on the recording and that always frustrates there's something in me that that frustrates because again i want to hear the familiar uh, and so when a band like diverges and like changes something in the song live, I'm always get a little bit like frustrated, like, no, that's not how it goes. Um, but uh, I think, you know, in orchestral stuff, they tend to stick a little closer to it. Like in the notes are not going to change. Sometimes they will, the tempo or whatever will, or arrangement will shift slightly, but they tend to not diverge too much. And so I've seen him uh, perform parts of this live uh it's generally mixed in like he doesn't do the whole album from start to finish obviously though i think if that ever happened if john williams was going to conduct the empire strikes back album you know the whole score from start to finish i would be there i would totally be there i would be the first person in line uh but uh, i've seen excerpts and, and segments of this of this performed live and it's just it is fantastic it's a great experience i love it do you think it's possible now for any other album or future soundtrack to take this place or do you think it will always be reserved for this one oh, that's a that's a toughie i mean i think because of the long you know how long i've been listening to this it seems hard to imagine something else that would supplant that because it means supplanting such a big part of my life um I think that's really a difficult proposition. But that said, I don't know. Um, it's possible because so much of what I think we love about music is ties into uh, other stuff even that's going on in our life while we while we are exposed to that, that it's possible that down the road there will be significant events in my life that are tied to particular albums or songs or whatever that will really push them to the forefront of my memory. I think this will always hold a special place for me regardless of whether it's my favorite album um but I, I it's hard also for me to imagine anything that could come in 
and like you know have the same history and nostalgia wrapped into it that this does uh you know i'm kind of i'm super anticipating slash really anxious about the fact that john williams is scoring the star wars episode 7 which comes out this winter um because uh, the idea of new star wars music always always excites me but at the same time some of those uh some of those prequel scores were not his best work um so i i think it's it's possible that someday something could come along. I never want to rule that out, but at the same time, it's hard to imagine something that would carry enough weight uh, and and enough sort of momentous significance to replace something that has been a big part of my life for you know twenty years. 